You're listening to What Were You Thinking with Eric McCoy and Paxton Dickerson, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hey, this is Eric McCoy. Welcome back. To- hey, you know, we titled this thing, what, you were, what Were You Thinking? Because, you know, I'm a teacher, but I'm also a student. And so we're always interested in getting, you know, other people's perspective, other people's per- opinions on this. As you can see, my co-host, <laughs> Paxson Dickerson, is not here today. Um, but I actually have something very exciting today, and I'm going to bring on a guest, Jody Barber. Some people, especially anybody that's been in this recovery world for a long period of time, probably know Jody Barber. Um, she is the uh, uh, producer of Overtaken and Overtaken 2. And, um, you know, she is somebody who... I admire tremendously. You know, she went through a lot of uh, traumatic, a major traumatic event um, where she lost her son. And uh, in 2010, he was 19 years old. And this was the direct result of a doctor's irresponsible and dangerous handling of medications. Um, He was actually found to have had Opana, which is a narcotic painkiller, Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic, and clonazepam, an anticonvulsant that's usually used to treat anxiety. Now, I wasn't somebody that was actually into pills, but we are and have been seeing um, a lot of abusers of drugs that start out with prescription medications. You know, many that know me understand my views of working to actually eliminate, and truly I believe this, to eliminate the um, this experiment of prohibition, um, you know, prohibition will always fail. And one thing that I've really been thinking a lot about is, you know, our educational system. And what about the major educator? When we go to a doctor's office and we're prescribed medications, you know, we have somebody that is a quote unquote expert, you know, in these types of things. And what if you have a doctor that just puts you on things because they feel good, doesn't tell you about side effects or potential things that you know, could happen, no warnings, um, you know, or even evaluations to determine what medications it is that you should ultimately be put on. And I wanna let you guys know, this is my doctor. And I saw a doctor that literally um, did and didn't do all of these things. And so I want to actually bring on Jody. Jody, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and helping me out today, and especially since Paxton's not here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I want to tell a little backstory. Um, and, you know, we have talked a lot about this. You know, in 2018, I was very interested in meeting with a doctor to, you know, solely see how irresponsible this doctor was. And I have a video, and so if anybody's interested, you should check this out on, on YouTube. I do have a video that shows a pre-visit and an after-visit with this doctor. And so I went to this doctor and I told him that, you know, I couldn't focus. I had difficulty keeping a job. My, my wife and I were fighting all the time. And this evaluation that he did landed me a sample of, and I understand this was actually the first medication that Jared was put on for Steak, 
Two of them were pulled out, they were cut in half, and they were rolled up in a bindle. Now, if you don't know what a bindle is, ask someone who had a drug I've purchased many bindles over the years of methamphetamine. The next visit, you know, landed me Pristique, Wellbutrin, and three separate prescriptions of Adderall that were dated a month apart, and he also had given me Trazodone. And I didn't return to this doctor for a few years, and I decided to look into this guy again. And this is where things got very interesting. And I want to I play a little snippet of when I had gone to the doctor the first time. Um, I obviously did a pre-visit video and an after-visit video. And the last time that I went, I actually did do audio of the meeting. And so I wanted to play this real quick, and then I wanted to ask you, Jody, what you thought about this. Yeah, Bill, copy in a couple months, and then if you need refills from Xanax, uh, tell me like what you need. Do you want to get the .5? Do you need to get the higher ones? You know, what, what, you know, so let me know if you... Uh... Uh, how about, I'll, I'll give you some more Xanax. How about if I give you like, like some ones, like 30 of the ones right now? Then? Yeah, that would probably be yeah. good. Just, you know, if, you need, if you're going to run out of Xanax before I see you, just, just, just request a refill from the pharmacy. Okay. So, actually, anything besides that or all, you need refill, just call your pharmacy. Well, I'll probably start doing once we get to the other meds in place is to start giving you like brought you three three Adderalls at a time, because because you can only take one at a time, man. I can't put refills on it. No, I get it. So what 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 I'll do next time is probably start loading you up so that you have this month and the next month the following month. Can can you do that right now, just for just in case, I, if I can get a couple more? Or? Okay. Um, what do you want? Maybe another one. Yeah, that way. Because uh, I do live so far from here. Okay, and remember we can do by phone too. Okay. And I can mail them to you, too. Okay. So, one, I don't know, could you actually hear that, Jody? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, you know, and so, and I wanted to get your, your, you know, thoughts on this a little bit. I mean, obviously, with this doctor, the, the, the patient is the one that really decides what they want and what they want to be on. And, you know, as we know, this doctor is obviously doing illegal things. But I wanted to ask you about the doctor that Jared saw. Now, you obviously, uh, tell a little bit about the story real quick since you're on here um, about your son. Well, Jared was addicted to marijuana and an opiate called Opana or oxymorphone, which came actually from another doctor who was ever prescribing. Her name was Dr. Lisa Singh. And that's uh, his Indirectly, his friends saw her, and then they they gave him the food, and you know they shared Opana. So he was addicted to Opana, and they paid him that enough in my backyard at three in the morning. That's when I realized he was on something strong. And a psychologist referred us to this doctor, and so um, he knew that Jared was addicted to opioids and marijuana. And at the very first visit, he did say to us that all Jared's cravings would go away. And those, that was just music to my ears. I was so happy to hear that. And then, you know, he talked about his book, and he gave Jared his book that he wrote. And 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 then he prescribed Pistique to Jared, and Jared actually asked him for Clonopin. And um, he did not want to give that to Jared at, at first. Mm. But then he asked again. He says, it helps my friends. So he said, okay. So he wrote the script, and for Clonopin, and I monitored, and I gave these to my son every night. And this was in October in 2009. And 
Um, so then, you know, after about three weeks, it wasn't really working. So he switched the pastique to Cymbalta, and so now I'm giving him that and Clonopin. And then that was in October, and November rolls around, and then like by the end of November, um, maybe early Je- December, I can't remember right now, but um, now Joe's needing two Clonopin. He's asking if that's okay. And the doctor said, oh, yeah, no problem. You can have two. And I said, you, should, you can have two a day. And I said, so I'm giving one in the morning, and I gave him one at night when he needed a mask for it. And so now he has two Clonopin and the Cymbalta. And again, I'm waiting for these medications to start working with his, for his anxiety. And yeah, he wasn't a depressed kid, but he, you know, he gave him antidepressants. Um, and so then now it's January 6th and one more visit with the doctor. And this time I was in the waiting room and I, I went to take a visit, but he walked out, my son walked out with two handful samples, boxes of Seroquel, hmm. which is an antipsychotic medication that doctors prescribe if they can't sleep. And Jed, um, he wanted to give that to Jed a few visits early prior to that. And Jed said, no, I don't want it. Well, this last visit on January 6th, he did take it. And the script was for three to four per night. It said take three to four Seroquel per night. And so Jared kept one sample box, and I didn't know it. I thought he gave them all to me. But then the next day, January 7th, um, we went to bed. My husband and I at 11 o'clock, he was with two friends on the couch, and we woke up. The light was still on. We woke up and walked downstairs and saw Jared sitting up, barely breathing on our couch. And my husband, his dad, did CPR, and I called 911, and Jared is actually in a drug-induced coma at the time. And what he had taken was a pana, again, while we were sleeping with his friends. They cut it up into quarters and shared it. Um, He also took the Seroquel as prescribed. He took three of those, and he had two Clonopin from that doctor. He had the Cymbalta in his system. So he had six pills just from that doctor alone. And knowing my son can relapse in an outpatient setting on an opiate, benzodiazepines and opiates don't mix well, and it's a deadly combination. Mm -hmm. So for him to even think about giving them clonopin and then increasing it to two and saying that's fine, no, it wasn't. And... He didn't even remember that he did that. He actually told me when I confronted him, he, after my son passed, he said, oh, no, I didn't give him two. I didn't prescribe two a day. I said, or as needed, two as needed. And I said, yes, you did. And he didn't recall that. And <laughs> he says, I wouldn't have done that with what, Sarah Quill. What was, on the, what was on the prescription, though? So, I mean, the, so, yeah, two. So and it did say that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, he still says, "Oh no, I wouldn't have done that." I said, "I have the proof. You know, it's on the script." Oh, uh, so. You know the interesting he, thing about this doctor, and um, you know, and I've I've obviously done a lot of research on this doctor myself, and you know, mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in two thousand and seven, he was you know the police were called to his house, um, he. 
was screaming, cussing, yelling, threatening his own life. He was 5150'd. Um, he was put in the hospital. He was then 5250'd, um, which is a 14-day hold. And then they recertify that to keep him for a total of 28 days. So obviously throughout that entire period, he was a danger to himself and or a danger to other people. And, mm-hmm. and then it was, you know, almost a year and a half later, after this situation, that his license was revoked and then he was put on probation, which was basically six months before Jared started seeing him. Mm. Yeah, he was actually on a five-year probation at the time that I took Jared to see him. Yes. And if I would have known that, you know, I wouldn't have taken my son to see him. Um, I wish there was a law that states that a patient, you know, before going to visit and, and getting those scripts in their hands. I wish that they were able to um, hand them, you know, um, something to say that this is my history. And, the the and America, like, the, the medical board of California uh, made a ruling mm-hmm. and decided <laughs> that they will not require them to disclose that information. There was actually a ruling that was made. Um, I think it was made down in San Diego. Uh, with the medical board, mm-hmm. that they do not have to disclose them being on probation because it will hurt their business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a bill circulating. I actually was on the news to talk about that bill, and it didn't get passed. Yep. And that was to make it you know, a requirement yep. for patients to know what their history is. Yes. And if I, mean, I would not have seen that that doctor, if I knew he was on a five-year probation at the time, you know, and then for a few years later, as you know, he was on another five-year probation for his reckless prescribing. And I have numerous complaints about this doctor. Mm-hmm. So I'm Yeah, no, no evaluations, life. no evaluations, um, you know, not a warning of side effects. Um, and he yeah, actually, he said, from, from everything that, you know, I was able to find, this doctor that Jared saw does exactly the same thing. On the paperwork that's within the medical board, and this is what I found really interesting, was, the, you know, the paperwork uh, that's in the medical board, basically, you know, they, you know, had him on probation. He tried to get the probation removed again, um, and so they had done, you know, all of these uh, educational experiences with him. He failed everything. And it says it in the in there. And he also made a statement that I didn't do anything wrong, and so I haven't changed anything. And right mm-hmm. there alone, you know, when you think about that, you know, it's almost like you know, if you're you're technically convicted of an offense, your your license is revoked, you're put on probation. So obviously, according to them, you committed this offense. And it would be like me going into court, you know, and being convicted of a, a, a crime and then telling the judge that I didn't do anything wrong and <laughs> I'm not changing anything. <laughs> it doesn't work well in the court system. Uh, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> no. But that's crazy to me because that almost literally says and tells them that I'm not changing at all. And then he's off probation in 2020. And he told, the, he told them that. How crazy is that? <laughs> I know it, it is. It is crazy. I, I don't understand it. I, I really don't understand how he can still be practicing. I mean, he does, uh, from all the complaints that I've, uh, that I'm aware of, 
it seems like it is the same medications that he likes to prescribe. And they yeah. say that, you know, he likes to try to find the right cocktail. And uh, <laughs> that's what he says. Don't do that. That's what he says. He's he, he the right cocktail. And what oh. what that cocktail is, is epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine and serotonin. Right. Those are all. So they're what, what are called um, anandamide, the neurotransmitters. And they're all involved in the fight or flight. You know, epinephrine is physical energy, norepinephrine, mental, mental energy, dopamine, pleasure. Um, and then, you know, serotonin, again, is the emotional stability. And so he prescribes medications to boost all of those. What does that do? Naturally, you're going to feel great. You're going to feel great. Mm-hmm. But you're going to become dependent mm-hmm. upon it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he, I also was told by a young adult that, he loves to prescribe to all the moms out here, a lot of the moms that go to see him to get on Adderall. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's another medication that he yes. over-prescribes Adderall. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you real quick, and I know we've sort of talked about this a little bit, but you know, I personally, when I look at this doctor, um, I put more of the blame on the medical board. Because, you know, here is a doctor that, quote unquote, has been diagnosed as, and even in all of the paperwork, that he was diagnosed as having manic disorder, mania, you know, bipolar, you know, somewhere in those lines, and that he will need treatment for life, right? So even in the context of us saying, okay, this man has mental illness, or let's, you know, that's basically what they're stating in that document, that... Now, who's the responsibility? Where does the responsibility go to? You know, and, and I personally, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the medical board. I think they're now, to, the, to this mm-hmm. day today, it is their fault. I agree. Mm-hmm. How, and what I have, agree. What, um, have you ever done any really extensive um, communication with the medical board? No, I've uh, I've shared my story for the medical board, um, but I've never, you know, done anything more than that with the medical board. I just I don't know. It just seems so hard to. It's hard to get anything through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't see how my voice will change anything. <laughs> you know, it, it's um. So after Jared passed away, um, what what did you do? Did you do anything regarding pushing towards this doctor of getting charges filed or anything? Um, with this doctor, yeah, that I took him to see. I I didn't, and I'll tell you why. It's because my son, because Jared had the opana in the system as well, right? You know, from the other doctor, so. Um, there wasn't a whole lot I could do about that, but what I was doing was um, I spread, I was getting the word out, you know, about about him. I I did mention his name to people that I think should know know about him. So, sure. um, I but you know, there's those those <laughs> there's those patients who are on these medications that argue with me mm-hmm. because they. You know, it seems to help them, I guess. The pills are helping them. And they <laughs> they stick up for the doctor. But 
you know what, they just haven't been on those medications long enough and, and they will be on those medications long enough to understand that the side effects are pretty brutal. And they, you know, I, the complaints that I've received are brutal. <laughs> what, what happened to their lives? And these are from women my age, you know, they're in their 60s and they're talking about, they're complaining about how they felt while they were on the, you know, the combination of pills that he was prescribing to them. Um, they said, you know, they, they caused divorce and all kinds of things because of what, how they were, mm, it's yeah. really horrible. It's, but, you know, yeah, I, the, the it, very few that stuck up for them, you know, I don't even, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You know, when I saw <laughs> there's too when, many complaints. Yeah. You know, when I saw yeah. this doctor, um, you know, I, for me, I, you know, I have an enormous amount of knowledge of medications, you know, working in the industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know all of these medications. I know what every one of them does. I know how they work. I know the side effects, you know, of all of these things. And, you know, the doctor, when I went and saw him, you know, it would, wouldn't explain any side effects, didn't tell anything. And, if you look at, you know, I, I was prescribed mm-hmm. um, Prestique, Wellbutrin, Adderall, right? Which mm-hmm. are, you know, um, um, you know, Prestique is a is an SNRI, serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, right? Um, uh, Wellbutrin is an SDRI, which is a serotonin dopamine reuptake inhibitor, and then of course we know Adderall. <laughs> it's you know, it's like speed, <laughs> right? And um, if you go onto the websites or you look at the side effects of all of those medications and the warnings from the manufacturers, yeah. it says, don't take this if you have high blood pressure, don't take this if you have heart problems, don't take this, you know, and a whole mm-hmm. list of don't take if you, know, you have this. The doctor never asked me anything, never asked me if I ever had heart problems, if I have high blood pressure, if, you know, anything, if I've ever had seizures. Um, because that's another oh. one. And, uh, and you know, he never took my blood pressure. <laughs> so, no. yeah, you know, I look at yeah. that almost that's... as like an attempted murder thing. You know, if I, I couldn't even imagine taking those, you know, now of course with me, it would be dangerous because of my addiction. Um, you know, I have to very, be very careful on what I take, but every one of those is stimulating. And I was a meth addict. Never asked me once if I had a drug problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. See, that, that alone right there, that, that just, the question in my head is why is he still practicing when I hear this? I mean, same thing with Jared. It's like, you know, he didn't need, he, he looked great, but um, he definitely didn't need to gain weight. Um, Seroquel, the side effects of Seroquel, it causes diabetes. And, um, yeah, better appetite, you know, Jared didn't need that. He didn't need to, he, he ate and he didn't need to have those side effects. You know, the diabetes, my mom had diabetes, she was diabetic, but he didn't even ask for, you know, family history. I mean, I, when I saw that script and I went online and I looked it up and I looked at the side effects for the Seroquel and I said, Jared, you're not taking these. No. And so... I really, you know, I thought he gave me all those sample boxes and I had the script with me. So, but yeah, he did keep the one box and it said three to four. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, in, in meeting the doctor, you, you really get, and he says this, you know, he says this, that, 
that um, we just want you to feel good. Feel yes. good, right? Make now, you feel good. Make yeah. you feel good. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've always realized, you know, especially in this recovery world, for those of us that have had drug problems, is it's not about feeling, it's about functioning. You know, so it's not about, if I'm taking mm-hmm. a drug and I'm feeling it, then it's probably the wrong medication. If I'm taking mm-hmm. something and I'm functioning better, then that is something that may be in line with what is working for me. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And yeah, that, I know. <sighs> he's, he's, uh, that doctor is dangerous. Um, and again, I, you know, the thing that kind of scares me is, you know, again, I can go into a doctor and I can understand. I think I, I felt like I knew more about medications than this doctor did. Um, but the way he would explain them, and it was, you know, it was really crazy. And the crazy part for me was that, you know, when I saw him, I literally went in with the initial thing, I don't want to be on medications. I tell him these side effects, I don't want to be in it. So I kind of argued against it, and then he talked me into it. <laughs> yeah, quote, unquote, <laughs> talked me into it. Um, but, you know, that because I knew that's where he was going to go. And this, you know, this doctor is a medication doctor. We just give you meds, you feel better, quote unquote, feel better, <laughs> and uh, and then you come back, yeah, ha- and then you come, and you come back happy. That's what he does all day. Mm-hmm. He just goes in his medicine cabinet, and it looks like a pharmacy, and all the samples in there, and he gives you samples, and he fills, he writes the script, and mm-hmm. and then you know it's what 150 a visit. And, you go back in a couple months, or and mm-hmm. uh, it's another $150 for the visits. I know it's and it's what a happens, big racket. yeah. What happens though, and this is the, the scary part is that you know, it, it's almost because of the meds he's using, it's almost like the methamphetamine addict. You know, I'd sent you that email, I don't know if you saw that email I sent you, <laughs> but you know, I was pondering our educational system, and you know, I was. I was sitting there and I was really thinking that, you know, the way, it, you know, the way drugs were talked about were, you know, they're bad, just say no. You know, that was the Nancy Reagan thing, you know, I grew up with, just say no, the scare tactics. But then I used them, mm-hmm. right? And everything that I heard from other people, I didn't believe now, you know? And that, and this is, you know, for people that don't truly understand addiction, this, you know, and especially when, it, when we're talking about methamphetamine, you know, is that if, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're not, you know, a little depressed in life, you're not feeling great, you don't connect with people, you know, you, you have these issues, you do methamphetamine, all of a sudden, you're focused, you're concentrated, you feel great, you're out of depression, you're connecting with people, you're outgoing, every, and none of those are bad things in and of himself, Right. Focus, concentration, feel mm-hmm. good—you know all of those. And um, but where does it fail? You know, now I don't think it would—I would probably have done anything different, but I did have to go down that path. But I was never taught anything other than you know my mind is telling me that, wow, this is good. I don't know why everybody's doing not doing this. What's wrong with this? This is fantastic. But I don't have the education to say that. Okay, wait a minute now you know, down the road, <laughs> it's going to stop working. You know, when we start doing it, it works. And this is the same thing with doctors, you know, this, especially this doctor, 
is you know that he'll prescribe these medications you feel great you're like wow this is wonderful he's a fantastic doctor i'm going to keep going to him but the lack of education doesn't really educate in the end game what happens from there you know and you know mm-hmm. I, re- I remember in school like i was never taught you know um you know like neuroplasticity how your body changes you know tolerance that, that you know can be built you know when you're when you're doing drugs, once tolerance builds, you have to do more of it, you know, and then you reach eventually yeah. reach a place where drugs are fun when you choose to do them, but they no longer are fun when you have to do them, you know, and that's mm-hmm. and that's sort of that end game for a lot of us. But we don't we're not really educated on any of that. No, I know. You know, I, I know some some women who have seen him and for years and for years and uh because there's and there is just a nightmare really because they're afraid to go off of them mm. because they've been on it for so long and i heard that you know the withdrawal from benzodiazepines is worse than heroin <laughs> mm-hmm. so it is it is, is. that true it is because mm-hmm. uh so you know Benzodiazepines um, have a very long half-life and they work, they're almost called alcohol pills because they work on the exact same neurotransmitters that alcohol does, right? Um, Alcohol Mm -hmm. and sedative hypnotics, whether they're benzodiazepines and barbiturates, those are the only classifications of drugs that withdrawal can kill you, right? And so heroin heroin withdrawal won't kill you. It makes you want to die, but it won't actually kill you. Benzos, um, alcohol withdrawal can kill you. Going to DTs, you know, you're, you know, if you're not regulated, your body temperature can actually rise to a point to where it fries your brain. You can go into seizures um, because it affects GABA. You know, GABA is the most abundant inhibitory neurotransmitter, and it and that's what regulates your brain. It keeps your brain in check. And so when, yeah. when alcohol becomes and benzos become enmeshed in that system, and so then you know it's you know you go from what we call homeostasis to allostasis right so allostasis is this new norm that you've created and that develops into tissue dependency where it says you know what you need this substance for you to function and if you don't have it mm-hmm. everything goes out of whack and uh you know, and a lot of people think meth- yeah. a lot of people think methamphetamine, for instance. Oh, there's no real tissue dependency. There's no withdrawal. Yes, there is. There's a huge amount. Um, it's just different. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very different. Methamphetamine, um, because of the neurotransmitters that it affects. You know, if you have been doing it for a long time and you stop, you will not be able to function at all. Period. Now you won't go through all the pain and everything because of you know, opioids um, mimic our endorphins, so our body stops producing those, and that's what causes the pain of the withdrawal from heroin and opiates, or any, you know, opioid. Um, and, but methamphetamine, it's just, it, it's just different. Yeah. Well, so here's this doctor freely prescribing mm-hmm. to teenagers benzodiazepines, mm-hmm. and then... <laughs> And then hearing all this and seeing what the side effects are and the withdrawal and what they're going to go through in the, who knows how long, you know, in the months or the years to come because they got started with this doctor who's prescribing to them. 
it's tragic. It's just it's well, really sad. Yeah, benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines. If if you take, you know, a lot of benzodiazepines, you know, like three times the you know the the dose or whatever, ten times the dose, your body will become physically dependent upon it within, you know, thirty to sixty to ninety days. If you take benzodiazepines as prescribed, if it's prescribed on a daily basis, you will become physically uh-huh. dependent within a year. And that's taking it as prescribed. Yeah, because, I mean, and look at Jared. He, you know, he's taking it for a couple months, and then he's asking for two a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people Not don't. Not but two now. I mean, yeah, people you don't... know, their brains aren't developed yet. True. Yeah, your brain, they say your brain's not fully developed until 24, 25. Um, yeah, right. benzodiazepines, and what a lot of people don't really truly understand, are, are, are horrible drugs. I mean, they really are, you know? The, um, you know, if you combine alcohol with it, obviously it, it creates, um, there's a, a synergistic effect, right? So it's no longer like uh-huh. one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals 10. Because basically your, your liver is working so hard to metabolize the alcohol. And so it allows the benzodiazepine to go through full strength without being metabolized. And that gets up in your brain Mm -hmm. and it kills you uh, because it's so, you know, it hasn't been broken down or metabolized and it's um, just shut your body down. And that's why combining those are very dangerous. Um, Withdrawal is horrible, horrific. I had a guy that I worked with years ago (laughs) at a program I was the director of and this guy came in and he was on, I think, Xanax and Valium and one other one. He took them as prescribed. He never abused them. He took them as prescribed uh-huh. for like 10 years. He was so physically dependent upon it that we couldn't even get him off it completely by the time he left. And uh, like he would yeah. literally, you would just drop the dose just a little bit and you could see it. He'd start shaking. He was sweating profusely. I mean, it, and it wasn't, it was, yeah. a, it was a real withdrawal. <laughs> um, I know it takes years. It really does take years to, you have to lean off of that so slowly. Yep. And, and that's what these doctors who are prescribing this ICOC craft, mm-hmm. <laughs> prescribing yeah. these pills. Now, you know, they need to start weaning their patients off of this, yeah. you know, and that's what they need to do. Not keep giving them more and more and more. But start weaning them off. Absolutely. Slowly. Yeah. Slowly. Yeah. Um, you know, that was sort of, you know, every time that I went back, you know, I, I would go back and I would basically talk him into increasing the medication, you know. And then I went in that one day and I was like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, the Seroquel increased. I'm going to get, um, you know, the Adderall at the max dose. And then I think I'm going to throw in Xanax. And so wow. I, I literally just went in the meeting and I, you know, made up some story, you know, about, um, you know, oh, I saw some, some, you know, paper you had written and I, I literally found a paper on this <laughs> that he had written a paper that he had written about, oh, people that, um, you know, have panic disorders. And if they just have a benzodiazepine, not even taking it, just have it. Um, that it makes them feel better. So that's how I used it. I literally just went in and I said, hey, you know what, I, um, I actually used my wife. My wife saw this um, and said that, you know, because I, you know, my new symptom I told him I had was a panic disorder. And um, 
and that um, my wife was reading one of your papers, and and she, you know, she was I played real stupid, and she was saying, oh, you know, just uh, you know, um, if you have something, I don't know what it was she was talking about, but if you just had something that would make you feel better, and he goes, oh, Xanax. <laughs> and and so then he wrote me he wrote he wrote me his annex script (laughs) yeah you know maybe he needs to be informed that i know of women who are dying because they go to their birthday party with the girls and have a couple glasses of red wine and come home and die after taking those annex do you know some I, yeah, I know women who that's uh, happened to that have There's, seen him. Pardon? That that have seen that doctor. Oh, oh, uh, no, okay. no, they didn't see him. No, but uh, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it ain't happened. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know about it. So I'm going to throw out a question here. We're going to kind of step into a little more of the uncomfortable scenario for a second, um, because um, you know I had done a video. Um, on the uh, doctor's visit that I had had. Um, We'd given it to the sheriff's Mm -hmm. department and ended up at the DEA's office. Um, And is anything being done? (laughs) 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 That's Mm -hmm. the big question, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know. Well, I'm sure... I'm sure there will be more complaining and more complaints. And when I do get the complaints, I do mention to them to write a letter to the medical board. Mm-hmm. And so the medical board is well aware of, of what's going on. But but so, not doing yes, anything. I do hold, I do hold them to blame. <laughs> yeah. I do hold them to blame too. Absolutely crazy. But, uh, Hey, I want to mention real quick out there, if anybody's listening and would like to call, um, the phone number is 323-203-0815. If you have any questions for Jody, please give us a call. Um, and um, so tell, tell a little bit about Overtaken. Overtaken. Okay, well, there was a woman, her name's Christine Wood, and uh, myself, we produced Overtaken in 2011 um, because we realized that schools weren't, uh, during Red Ribbon Week, it wasn't enough, really, what they were doing, and we thought, you know, it would be nice to have Overtaken as a tool in the health classes, and uh, after my son passed away, actually, his health teacher and uh, the high school called me and asked me to come in and share Jared's story. And I brought a young adult with me and he was amazing. And the questions went on and on from the students. And I realized, you know what, this is important and we need to do, you know, more and do these presentations. But I put up a poster of 24 faces of our kids in business windows and I started getting calls for help. Well, I got a call from this woman, Christine, and we met and we decided to produce Overtaken for schools. So I do presentations um, uh, during assemblies or in the health classes. And it's also in rehabs and um, used in DUI classes. And it's a, a great tool. It's on YouTube and I give away free DVDs as well. And then 
it's, it consists of several young adults who are from Orange County, and they share their stories of where benzodiazepines, <laughs> where um, the medications that and the alcohol and the meth and everything that they were on, where it led them. And these were straight-A students and cheerleaders and football players. So I wanted to end the stigma that surrounds addiction. And they share their powerful stories of what happened to them. And um, thankfully today, they are clean and sober. And with that said, I knew I needed to spread the message of hope. So while I was in a rehab and presenting Overtaken, I decided to produce Overtaken 2, and that's the message of hope. It's the same young adults in the first one. And they share their stories of what their lives are like without drugs and alcohol and how life is so much better without it. And so Overtaken 1 and 2 are both on YouTube, and I do have DVDs as well. Yeah, and I, I um, that's why I always tell you too, you know, it, it, you know, obviously the situation with Jared, um, you know, him passing away, obviously that's painful. But at the same time, you didn't allow him to die in vain. You know, you took... No, I didn't. Thank you. No, I knew God God took him and his three close friends who I knew well and loved. And in the same year, they died. And I knew that I had to do something because it's all preventable. And I knew um, God took Jared for a reason. And that was for me to to spread awareness mm-hmm. and educate and whatever I can. So, What is the state of Cal- California doing? Do you know? You know, obviously we still Wait, have these, again? you know, we obviously have all of these, you know, um, overdose, you know, deaths, you know, and especially even with COVID, you know, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the focus obviously went to that. Um, and we sort of, I think a lot of people sort of lost track on all the deaths of, you know, the overdoses. Um, what is California doing? Do you know? I mean, are they, <laughs> <laughs> this has been a big question well, of mine, you know, um, is what are we doing? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I've been to DC and Sacramento and I hope, you know, with the other advocates, out there and we help get laws passed and that's been helpful but the problem today is that the fentanyl as well and the fentanyl um needs to be uh that's a hard one that's a tough one because it's coming from the border but it's also coming it's they're getting it mailed to their door from ordering online like on snapchat and it's Mm -hmm. tragic because my question is why are 14 year olds going online to get these medications like Oxycontin and Xanax. And, and it's not that, and they're dying because of straight fentanyl. And this isn't an overdose, but this is poisoning. And, and this is the epidemic too right now. I mean, this is what's killing most of the people is the fentanyl. Yeah, the, the so, and again, the thing I always keep going back to is, yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, these young young kids that are ordering this stuff and overdosing but again how much education have they had you know i mean we can look at like okay you know you can learn Mm -hmm. from you know uh you know people that actually understand it and can teach you or you learn from your friends and that that's exactly why i've been doing what i've been doing for the past 11 years is because i want to educate parents 
Mm-hmm. So I'm in schools and I go and the schools have, you know, these parent nights where the parents are supposed to show up and, you know, and listen to <laughs> the presentation. But sadly, there's not enough parents that show up to those events. Mm-hmm. And, and that bothers me um, because they need to be educated. They need to know what's going on today and what's happening. And they have to know about Snapchat and they have to know about, you know, Xanax and fentanyl and all of it. And um, they need to know what the, um, you know, what to look for and be aware of the, you know, if the pen is broken up in their household and the ink's, you know, missing, well, they're probably snorting a drug, a pressing a pill and snorting from that pen cartilage, you know, things like that. If their spoons are missing or bent or burnt, um, they need to know the warning signs and the red flags. And so I wish that parents were attending these presentations more. It, it just really upsets me. I, uh, Last year, it's International Overdose Awareness Day in the state of Florida. I had an event every year, and last year, because of COVID, I couldn't do it inside, indoors, so I held it at the skate park. And we had hundreds of faces of beautiful young adults up on the fence, along the soccer field fence. And there were cars of parents one night. They were waiting for their kids to get off the soccer field who were practicing. And all these photos are lined up all down the, the fence, and they did not get out. And some of them had younger siblings in the car with them. And I was hoping that they'd get out of the car and at least ask me, why are these photos up here? And walk down that line and, and see all these faces with their younger kids, children that were in the car that were old enough to understand. And, and you know, and they didn't. And that was so upsetting to me. Yeah, because, you know, they, they, they think the same way the kids do. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to be my mm-hmm. kids, you know. And, and then, of course, the kids are like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm invincible, <laughs> you know. But the, yeah. But the, yeah, I know I guarantee, I guarantee a lot of the parents think, oh, you know, this, you know, that's their family. It's not my family. This won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. I also believe, though, uh, that there really needs to be that, that – um, combination of education in the schools and with parents because the sad part is what about all the parents that are getting loaded themselves you know um because you do you have parents Hello? out yeah can you hear me do, do oh I'm... yeah you, you were cut off oh, okay um no i was saying that <clears throat> i really think that there should be you know sort of a combination within you know parents and then also within the schools because you know what about all the parents that are getting loaded themselves right you know I know. You know, my son thought marijuana was okay because his, some, of the, some of his friend's fathers were smoking pot. Yeah. And so in his eyes, it's okay. They're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> he'd, he'd go to the, he'd go and to, it was horrible because he'd see men in business suits, you know, where they buy the marijuana and at the dispensaries and he'd think, okay, you know, they're in business suits, they're successful. So if they are, I can do it. So yeah, it, it is the adults that need to be good role models and stop taking this uh, drugs. Well, and it goes, yeah, and it kind of goes pills, back, you know, it goes back, 
it goes back to a lot of the you know the families though that you know don't want anything any education done in the school. We'll take care of it. We'll handle it. You know, but are they really doing it? You know, like it's like sex education too. You know, parents uh-huh. don't want sex education in the schools because they think it's going to promote it. You know, I personally think that we should have sex education. We should be handing out condoms. You know, because they're going to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. You know. I know. Well, <laughs> I've been to middle school, or I've asked middle school principals if I can do a presentation. They they do have their sex education classes. I remember my kids <laughs> coming home and talking about it in middle school, but they didn't want me there talking about the drugs, and that bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, you know, because this is going on in middle school. This is, they're starting younger and younger, t- you know, today, so... 10-year-olds need to be educated. Yeah, absolutely. As, as young as 10, really, they need to start young because especially when they have cell phones and they're online and they're on the computers and their laptops, yeah. um, they need to be monitored. Yeah. Well, hey, Jody, we're, about, we're actually out of time. Um, this went, oh. this went really fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, I want to thank well, you. Thank you. I want to thank you, Jody, so much for coming on here. Um, and, um, and then I'll, uh, I'll reach out to you soon. Okay. All thank right. you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Eric. Okay. okay. Hey, I want to thank everybody for, uh, tuning into this episode. What were you thinking? Um, and, uh, and again, Jody Barber is a fantastic person and I think she, um, you know, check check out Overtaken. Check out her uh, videos. They're very educational, very powerful. And I will look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks.